Hi there, my name's Beth and Vincent and welcome to The Brave. This is the podcast about the people, companies, systems and ideas that are creating a better future. I'm the managing partner of Open Velocity, we're a marketing strategy consultancy and this podcast is our way of speaking to people doing really cool stuff. Basically it's an excuse for an interesting conversation if we're honest. Now this week we are delving into a topic which fascinates me and that is what is the future of the internet? What the hell is going on? We've got ChatGPT, generative AI, changes in Google, all of this stuff off the back of, you know, 10 years of an internet that has rapidly evolved and changed and what's going to happen next. And to answer this question, I spoke to John Alderson, who's the head of SEO at Yoast. Now, just a few disclaimers. We recorded live, which was fantastic, but it does mean there are few background noises just to maybe watch out for if they do occur but without further ado I'll get stuck into the conversation this what this was fascinating to me and we cover a lot of ground and I hope you find it as interesting as I did hi I'm John Alderson um, I say my surname so rarely I'm not sure how to pronounce it is it Alderson or Alderson I don't know um I am ostensibly head of SEO at Yoast, which is a SEO software company. Um, I'm not entirely sure what I do, but a big part of it is um, trying to work out what Google are doing and what the internet is doing and what businesses are doing and how all of that comes together to make some kind of plan for what are the tools people need and how does that all behave and what does good look like. And then a bunch of other stuff as well, like analytics and web development and futurology and things. So just a small job, though. <laughs> yeah, just just a, a very narrow focus. So, Jono, I wanted to get you here to talk about, it's a big topic, right, but the future of the internet. Sheesh. Because it's all happening, it's all changing. And I guess this this really stemmed from, I saw you at Learn Inbound talking about, well, the future of schema markup, which mm. was very interesting, and kind of search engines and exist for robots and your content exists to be understood by robots so I was wondering if we could kick off with kind of what are your thoughts? Well I guess the, the schema thing is quite interesting right because it was the 30th anniversary of the World Wide Web the other day and if you'd asked Tim Berners-Lee 30 years ago what the future of the web would have been the future of the internet you would definitely have said structured data um, and hey that never happened well maybe it's happening now slowly um, so I guess it, it like all of this is increasingly hard to predict because there is so much happening. I think even if you try and try and work out what the heck you mean by internet, um, the field is now so broad. If we expand to encompass some of the internet of things, we look at Web3, we look at systems talking to systems, we look at the increasing monopolization of e-commerce by Amazon. What is this landscape? I have no idea where it's going other than there is a continuing play to capitalise, I think, on discrete verticals of human experience. So I think there is a play for entertainment, there's a play for fulfilment, there's a play for ego. I think that's where increasingly I see brands like Amazon, like Netflix, like Uber, focusing their efforts. And it's about removing friction in those areas rather than just trying to, because everything's becoming more commodified, right? Yeah. The, all the conventional, what we would have 10, 20, 30 years ago thought of as USPs, or no longer so. It doesn't matter where you are, somebody will be closer. It doesn't matter how cheaply you manufacture, yeah. somebody will undercut you tomorrow. None of those things are competitive advantages. So where we start to compete is ownership of 
preference in these different columns, I think. So yeah, a lot of the movement seems to be focusing there. That's interesting because the kind of uh, marketeer in me has some glee in that because it's brand. That's what yes. we're saying. Yes. saying. It, it's the dominance of brand. And if you don't have a brand presence, if you don't own your brand, you're just going to be flooded out by the noise. Absolutely. Well, as the, I can speak absolutely yes. I think um, and <laughs> one of the takes on this is the importance of the why, right? It's the what does the brand stand for? And that's hugely contentious. And I completely get why a bunch of people disagree that that's a thing. But in a world where all of the utility of your brand is replaceable. The only thing left is the why. Brand, mm. the, the brand narrative and the, the stories that that brand tells and how that resonates with who, because it can't be everyone to everything, everything to everyone. Um, everyone. That, yeah, yeah, on, on whatever platform. Um, that's the thing that matters and differentiates is my choice from preference, from recall, from salience. It's all brand marketing, it's all there is. And I guess to your fragmentation point, because obviously, the internet was meant to be this kind of unified landscape where anyone could be anything, have any opinion. Mm. Do, do you have a sense whether that fragmentation is by design or it's just a natural kind of almost evolution of the internet? It was always going to happen. So I think it happened and then it unhappened. I think there was a golden age, and this might just be romanticising the period of my youth and kind of having grown up through it. Um, you've talked about this, right, being part of that, the one generation that went from analogue to digital. Um, there was definitely a period where GeoCities was a thing and MySpace was a thing and it felt like we were collectively and democratically shaping the web and creating the content and evolving it together. And then Facebook happened and Twitter happened and gradually a lot of those interactions moved away from the web and into either walled gardens or proprietary ecosystems. And some kind of movements to try and bring that back but with Twitter increasingly dying and everyone abandoning Facebook those conversations have stopped and that collaboration has gone away when was the last time you posted anything on a forum? Actually yesterday oh, but wow. I'm, I'm a weird example Okay, um, fair enough and it, Do you know what? This is really embarrassing It was a Sims form Wow <laughs> But that's what I mean like, that's a niche Super very niche, niche interest Yeah where I just really needed an answer to a bug I was experiencing. Uh, forms for support makes sense, that's cool. That yeah, but I get your point, you know, interacting with people on those mass kind of channels, that, that era does seem over. But from my perspective, it was never that great. It was never a great, and, and this might be a gender age thing, but it was never a great experience for me. So I'm kind of like, yeah, whatever, we're done. Interesting. Uh, even, even with that, I think that the change is significant. You look at... Um, Look at somebody setting up a small business today. They have no incentive to build a website uh, in a way that they might have 10, 20 years ago, which would have carved them out some ownership of their ecosystem and they would have maybe been creative and differentiated. And now they maybe have a Facebook page and they probably have a Google Maps listing. And at best they have a link tree thing pointed at them from their Instagram. But the web and the internet is no longer shaped by the people who inhabit it. It's shaped by Amazon and Google and the corps. That's super interesting because that, that's problematic though for me in the, yes, you can kind of build on these rented land platforms that you have no control over, but that's really risky yep. from my perspective. So, you know, my partner Des, he's an artist, you know, he has like 20K Instagram followers. This isn't a flex, but... <laughs> <laughs> super famous. He's so famous. But his account, and he sells his art through it, and his account got suspended overnight. <sighs> and there was no recourse to appeal, as it seemed. It was just like, you're done, you're gone. And I could imagine if you were a business owner and that was your sole source of income, being yep. removed from the internet overnight, 
it, it's hugely problematic. It is, but then where do you draw that line? Because I don't run my own power plant to host my, run, produce my electricity to host my server to yada, yada, yada. Yeah. At some point, you hand off commodity and utility, right? Like, we have electricity suppliers and we don't make our own soap for a reason, um, most of us. Um, <laughs> but then, yeah, like, do you want to bet all, all in on saying, I'm going to run my business on Instagram? It feels risky, but there's a middle ground somewhere. And maybe, <laughs> maybe the comfortable middle ground for that is own your own website and yeah. own your permissions list, whether that's an email thing or something else. But that's hard. Then you're talking about twice as much work. You've got a hub and spoke strategy where you've got a main thing and 20 different outlets and you're trying to coordinate a strategy across all of it. That's a lot more work. Yeah, but also the people who can do that win. Yes. That's the thing. Yeah. Like, and it, <laughs> yeah, rewards, yeah. it rewards that kind of input. And I guess I would say that as someone who builds the kind of strategies that are very cross-channel and all of that. Yeah. But to go back to the whole point around, like, do you have a, a website or not? Because I've heard different viewpoints on this and some people saying, like, you just need landing pages now. You don't need that central kind of asset that's going to be rewarded in the SERPs through search. What are your thoughts around that? Because the search landscape is changing. And we said we were going to touch on AI before we jumped on this. We kind of did that agreement. But it feels like, on the one hand, your website isn't rewarded or you're not rewarded for having a website. But you also still need it, or do you think not? I think that's a practical consideration, which is if you are going to try and become one of these brands of the future and it's all about storytelling and identifying with audiences, that has to live somewhere. Those stories need a home. And if they only exist transiently in Instagram or on landing pages, then you're not building equity over time. You're not growing. Maybe you don't want to. Maybe that's not your strategy. But if you're talking about brand, typically think that means some kind of longevity and a a horizon. So you want to be aggregating and collating that in a way that grows over time, builds a flywheel, etc. Really needs to live somewhere that you can control. Um, Otherwise, yeah, you're susceptible to all of the whims of whatever Elon Musk decides next week. (laughs) It doesn't feel like a good place. No, it doesn't feel like a good place in in many different uh, ways. And the other thought is, and this is some of the stuff I touched on in Learn Inbound in Ireland, um, increasingly human humans, yeah, I was going to say human people, but that's that's somewhat redundant. Humans are not necessarily your biggest audience or even potentially your most important audience for the kind of content and information you have on your website, on the web about your brand. if you look at the trends that are unfolding with Google, Facebook, others crawling and scraping and actively consuming content about brands, their inventories, their missions, their authors, their content, their publishing information, etc., that kind of information needs to live somewhere as well and needs to be controlled and managed because um, if you're not managing it, you're yeah. essentially relying on them guessing. Um, I think managing that kind of information, who are my employees, what's my terms and conditions, what are the pricing of my products, that has to live somewhere and controlling that is probably an increasingly important function for marketers, digital marketers in particular. That's interesting though because that feels like very, this sounds really bad, but low hanging fruit, like it, it reduces the marketer's role as an admin of information structures. Yes, um, yeah, be a database manager. My, my website is now 50% a landing page hosting thing to convince humans to buy my thing and 50% just a database of attributes about my stuff. And yeah, librarianing that is probably quite important. And I guess this leads me on to the AI (laughs) whole thing, because, you know, one of the promises of machine learning of AI is it it will understand and be able to generate and both generate and understand this information at scale. So what what do you see... Is there going to be a world where everything is just created for the consumption of machines to understand relationships, to understand information? 
and almost that human aspect has taken over. Because you can imagine, you know, let's say ChatGPT got turned into a search interface, which is what Google yep. <laughs> is essentially thinking. You're going to return one result or one small snippet of results. So how do you control what that result is, especially if the content has been created by AI as well, which I think is very interesting. Yeah, and synthetic content is fascinating, right? Um, there's a few moving parts here, I think. One is that um, these systems and AI-generated stuff aren't good at reliable precision or repeatable reliable precision, and they can definitely understand, I don't know, what a car is and what attributes it has, but if you are a car retailer with a website with an e-commerce landing page, you want them to get the colour right, you want them to get the price right, you want them to be retrieving and using that information, not extrapolating and guessing and pattern matching. So I think there was always a role for having a place where these systems can extract specific data from and then use in whatever systems for them. I don't think we get to a world where Google or whoever it is, it just kind of creates a synthetic layer over the web mm. that understands everybody's business. In fact, having spoken to some of the teams on Google's side looking at structured data and schema, there's some interesting um, differences of opinion internally where half the team are convinced that they can automatically extract intent and content and understand the characteristics of a page um, automatically and they're nearly there and they've been nearly there for a while yeah. and maybe they'll get there eventually and the other half of the team are no you use explicit heuristics you define the extraction mechanisms and the AI dream will never happen um, and they can't quite agree on where that goes but I think um, maybe a bit of both yeah because that's interesting because the whole kind of manual review of content comes in there and actually yeah. Yeah, I imagine Google or any large entity is looking at that thinking, hmm, there's a cost saving we can make here. But yeah. it doesn't mean it's going to be any good for the user. No, absolutely. Um, yeah, that's uh, and certainly the, the mess we've seen in the early rolls out of all of these systems suggests that they haven't really cracked that yet. Do you think they were forced into early release of BARD? Absolutely. Um, they were, they absolutely missed the boat on it. Um, and conversely, Bing worked far too fast to release their system. You look at the mess around that and them having to constrain the responses and then expand it out again. And oh, it turns out that citation's a thing. All of that was yeah, not, not particularly well managed. But first minute of advantage, they got there, they made the noise, they had a spike in users and now they've all gone again. Yeah, because everyone, there was a whole thing about like, is this Bing's time? Yeah. Is it now? <laughs> Finally. Surprise, no. Yeah. Well, I don't know. It got people at least to consider a different option, yeah. which is an interesting shift. I've spoken to some people, even people in the industry, who now regularly use Bing and the chat interface as part of their workflows, which I think yeah. is fascinating. I think I'm yet to rewire my brain to think I have a problem. I should chat to a text box to get some suggestions and solutions rather than just trying to work through it. Yeah, I I also don't like the whole any and no it is, you know, there's citations now and everything, but I hate the whole kind of um I don't know the viewpoint of this yes. content and where it's come from. And that that's a really important thing. For so me. you mentioned just now Google's paradigm of everything has one perfect answer, right? Which yeah. is for so long for them was such an advantage. Like yeah. the first result is the only result, it's the canonical truth to this thing. And they've built an empire on that and then suddenly it turns out there's nuance. And suddenly it turns out <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, suddenly it turns out that politics is a thing and that people are influenced positively or negatively, etc. etc. Bing was doing some really fascinating stuff for 
contentious queries showing both sides of the, the view. Yeah. Or, uh, if, if anything like, is chocolate good for me? Who should I vote for? And they were really over-engineering how do we show a balanced opinion? And now all that's gone because using a chat interface means there is, again, only one answer. And even if it's citing sources and being deliberately kind of inclusive, it still reduces a lot of that surface area down to very, very minimal context, which is not, I think, healthy. And do you think that's an issue with the whole kind of... I have this where it's like the whole premise of these systems, the ultimate truth, and that's what we're going up, we're trying to kind of force and we're trying to get to. And maybe it's, you know, the truth is an illusion anyway. So <laughs> why are we even trying this? But it, do you think it's a fundamental premise issue or an implementation issue? I think done well, it can be useful and maybe even the right answer. So there are, I'm coining a term, let the record show. I think there Mark are, it in the notes. <laughs> I think there are increasingly large surface areas that are solved. I think there are query spaces that are solved, solved query spaces. So maybe there is one perfect canonical lasagna recipe. Oh, that's a that's a claim. <laughs> <laughs> but you can you okay maybe not the best example, but you can imagine there are huge swathes of types of searches and queries and chats and interactions where there is a right answer. How tall is the Eiffel Tower? Yeah, yeah. Or even um, where is the best restaurant near me? Things with moving parts still can have canonical true answers. And what I think is interesting is for ever since the beginning of the internet, and certainly since the rise of search engines as the main way that we interact and discover, the paradigm has been, if you, want to, if you want to make money online, one of the main ways is you generate content to get discovered, to get visitors, etc. And you do that by having a better answer to a question than somebody else's. That incentivizes mass content production, it incentivizes Google to go crawl the web, it builds the entire economy that we have. And then suddenly overnight you go, oh, actually, we have... AI and AI-esque systems generating infinite amounts of good enough content in pretty much every space, now there is no incentive for business to write another lasagna recipe. That is a solved query space. Every permutation of every lasagna recipe now exists. Even if it doesn't exist yet, it can do tomorrow, so it's pointless. Now, Google has no incentive to call the web. Google has no incentive to index your stuff. You have no incentive as a business to publish a whole bunch of mediocre landing pages. And the only people who win and stand out in this are people who are contributing disproportionately better material in fewer spaces because so many spaces are solved, or having differentiated enough answers to stand out, but not so much that they have a distinctly different viewpoint to everybody else because that will get down to saying, like, what, what is the content model now? What is the web model when it's full? Yeah, that's something I've been reflecting on a lot because obviously, you know, working with clients and talking about their content needs, content strategy, and I think where I've arrived at is is the kind of, well, it's EAT. Yes. <laughs> E-E-A-T, double E-A-T, yeah. <laughs> however you're saying that now. <laughs> but it is, you know, what it, does this content provide either like substantial experience above and beyond yeah. or is the result of substantial experience above and beyond anything anyone else can replicate? Or is it expertise, again, that someone can't replicate it? So I'm really bullish on, oh, this sounds really bad, but like thought leadership-style yep. content, yep. where it's opinionated. Actually have a name and a face with yeah. an opinion. But even then, so many of the spaces are going to be solved full. Like, do you, even if your chef is incredible, is there value in them writing another uh, lasagna recipe? 
But it's valuable if your chef is incredible and they're known and people want their Yeah, so how do you recipe. get there? How do you get from... Well, it's brand, isn't yeah. it? You know, and it's all the other... <laughs> yeah. This is why... So the best SEO strategy you can have now is to brand. run billboards and TV ads yeah. and differentiate yeah. and then, then worry about the SEO side. Yeah, basically. It's, it's, so. it's kind of demand. It be, SEO becomes demand capture, I guess, than yes. demand generation, which is a really interesting shift. Yeah, I like that. That people aren't... Probably people way smarter than me are thinking about this already, but I don't think the general corpus of marketing is thinking about it in that way. I've been grumbling for a while that it has for quite a long time not felt like a conversion channel for quite some time yeah. in the same way that others might. And that's contentious. And now even that's, we're, we're so far beyond that now. Yeah, I think you're right. It's, um, yeah, you can't generate demand from search. Yeah. So we've solved seo for the next five years nice well done good i love that i love that solved query space what did you call it solved, solved query spaces solved. that's yeah. cool that's a really interesting idea so yeah. looking forward kind of five years and i know it's really hard to make predictions but what, what are some of the things you wouldn't be surprised if you saw in the internet in the search landscape in five years so there's one of the things i'm waiting for and i think we all have been for a while is um a model which rewards um, uh, producers can not produce one word um, wow my vocabulary is just dissolved <laughs> um, we should probably edit this bit out um, what are you content creators no artisanal furniture carvers who have a patreon oh, uh, and, uh, craftsmen oh like um Artisans? Yeah, and similar, but also journalists and doctors and teachers, the kind of the creator web. How do we make that work? And Patreon got some of the way, and OnlyFans got some of the way, but there's still a huge gap for recognising this kind of emergent class of, not classes in the right word, but people who are making their living in very small ways through doing very small things online. And we've had a few attempts at hey, we, can we bake micro-conversion, micro-payment support into the browser yeah. that have failed? We've had subscription models that have failed. I still want to get to a position where I can go, I want to sponsor a journalist rather than subscribing to The Guardian. Or Yeah, but isn't that a substack? To a degree, for content producers, yeah, but also for, I don't know, bands, yeah, for, for people, in that, I don't know, chefs, individuals that I want to have a, a commercial relationship with and not yeah. quite invest in, but rather than going through bands, which is a very different direction. I think... We're starting to see some movement towards the web being able to support that. There's some interesting stuff in Chrome recently with being able to subscribe to RSS feeds, which is a nice yeah. throwback. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but then also the reader rewards thing, which I think is a really interesting step forwards. Now a, a, a much more baked in solution for I want to pay to get through this paywall. Still a lot of friction, but it's getting yeah. there. Maybe maybe we end up with something like Patreon that's just native to Chrome, where you can go, yes, I want to buy into this person or this access or this content. That'd be nice. Um, so, yeah, the kind of democratization of making things, I guess, uh, and, and finding out how people can commercialize that. Like, that's really cool. Yeah, that would be really interesting. And it's a nice kind of foil to the, you know, monopolistic effects of things like AI and this, this brand kind of thrust we're talking about, because, you know, the people with the budget to support out of home and to support brand building yes. activities will win. It's a bit of a winner-takes-all market. Yeah, so you have, your choice becomes either Amazon or the person down the street who whittles things from wood on a weekend and not really anything in between. Yeah, that's interesting. And there's almost like a whole class, and again, we're not using that word maybe you know, correctly in a purist sense, but a whole class of businesses that lose out on this. Yes. So do you, would you have any advice for a business that, you know, Maybe they're a bit above and beyond an artisanal maker, but you know they have their own site and whatever, and, and but they're not obviously at the scale. They can do massive brand activation campaigns. 
what are some of the things you, they should be thinking about maybe? I think um, trying to carve out an audience is going to be the most important thing. Was it years ago there was... Um, I can't remember whose it was, but the thousand true fans theory. Yeah, 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 yeah. I still think that holds true. Uh, maybe not the numbers and maybe not the economics, but the principle that you need to hit a critical mass of I have won enough hearts and minds that I'm not relying on my AdWords budget or Google's algorithm or Instagram because people will come to me and spend their money. And it's super hard to do. Um, it's super competitive. You've really got to differentiate. You've got to go above and beyond in yeah. product, service, pricing, whatever. Um, but yeah, otherwise, what are you other than just a business in a location with a price? That's not defensible. No, no, um, no, definitely not in the same way. Yeah, it's interesting. And I guess from looking at the other lens as a user of these products, they're getting more frustrating to use. This is a huge challenge. So do you think actually what, what will happen is maybe, you know, the way the businesses will lose out, but actually the user experience will finally improve. And maybe, hey, we might even get, you know, the promise of voice search. <laughs> AI powered nice. voice search um, would be lovely. It would. I've, have you seen the um, pivot on Alexa very recently? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Amazon said it was dead. They've given up. And then it turns out that large language models actually might be the solution. Who knew? Um, but interestingly, I don't know if anyone caught this. Um, Google, over the last year or so, have quietly deprecated a whole bunch of their APIs yeah. for voice stuff. I've noticed because my Google Home no <laughs> longer works. Yes, likewise. <laughs> or plays um, the radio or anything. Well, I, I had quite a clever integration with my Google Home where I would use it as a task list and it would use if this, then that to push uh, to Trello, cool. which I'll run all my tasks from. That stopped working because, speculatively, um, the privacy and data handoff consideration, that if I ask it an open-ended query and it's passing components of that through a third party, that's hitting US servers. Yeah. And suddenly we're into the same territory as Google Analytics and Google Fonts and all these systems being illegal. I wonder, like AI doesn't solve for that bit, are mm. we ever going to get voice search if there's a fundamental challenge with this has to phone home? Yeah, that's really interesting. And I guess the whole kind of privacy and privacy-first web, I mean, the more and more I play with GA4, <laughs> the more I'm like, this is not a privacy play. What do you want about yeah. it? It's a Google control monopolization play. But again, do you, do you have any sense of where that might end up? Or? I'm watching the browser stuff very closely on this and talking with a bunch of people involved. Um, we are now on the third attempt to create a spec for privacy-friendly ad mechanics in Chrome and beyond. Um, this one is as broken and flawed as the previous two. What do we have? We have Flock, which yeah. everybody killed. Yeah. Then we have Topics, yeah. which everybody killed. Um, the Topics API was laughable. I spent a bit of time in the GitHub repository reading through the proposal for how it would work. And the, prem like, the, the top line was quite interesting, that sites would have categories and users would have interests yeah, and they'd yeah. aggregate it over time and match it. And then you go, okay, they really haven't thought this through because there's big questions like, should a website be able to define its own topics? Yeah. And like, yeah. mm, okay, just brief hacker mentality moment. This is somewhat exploitable. The whole um, internet becomes porn and yeah. gambling. And <laughs> all, yeah, well, surprise. Some people may enjoy that, but you know, <laughs> may yeah. not be for everyone. Yeah, some interesting economics in that. Um, and the latest stuff is still problematic. Um, we're getting there, but the exchange between website and user is still not quite right. I think when quote unquote cookie getting happens, if and when it happens, um, we're going to see radical upheaval in certainly the, the editorial web yeah. because everybody's everybody who's reliant on ad models, their revenue is going to drop by 70-80%. We're going to see a continued increase in 
countries declaring Google Analytics to be illegal and everything else to be illegal. So everyone's going to be blind on the metrics and we're all going to be forced to essentially spend more on AdWords. Yeah, and it comes back to brand as well, you know. And it's, I kind of, I'm kind of semi-excited about this. And I say this a little bit facetiously. <laughs> yeah. You know, the whole adage of 50% of my advertising budget is wasted. I just don't know which 50%. Yep. That was always true, by the way, even with, you know, last click attribution yep. and everything. But we're just going back to that even, even more. Yeah. And actually, it's the people with the best creative, the best narrative, the best brand story. Those are the people that are going to win in this. Yeah, and you can't measure it. And that's hard. So yeah. tough. Yeah. Yeah, you can measure approximations of it. Yes. That's the challenge. Yes, you're not going to get a nice convenient spreadsheet with inputs and outputs. You're going to get surveys and word of mouth and brand saliency reports, and you're never going to have a, oh, if we spend 10% more, what will, no. You, even your, all of your models are, are, are nonsense. Yeah, but they always were. Yes. They always Absolutely. were. They, they were always, yes. you know, did. Best guess and look confident exactly. and then yeah. claim the rewards for sure. Yeah, and the people actually looked beyond Lasker attribution and actually did some digging. They were the winners before anyway. Yeah. So it, I don't know, I'm kind of semi-excited about it. Yeah, I am for a long time. I've got into a lot of trouble in the SEO industry for saying that we would all do a lot better if we didn't have any metrics at all because everyone is so hung up on what is the domain authority of this link and how many clicks does this keyword get in the standing page and it absolutely prevents strategic thinking around are we solving user problems are yeah. we building saliency and no no seo has ever asked that because they're so tied up in the numbers yeah and even even the low well it's more for me i think it's more about just not an understanding of the business metrics and those are the important metrics not not how many clicks we got necessarily there's an awful lot of businesses who didn't start out digital, who then realized that they needed a website and built a marketing department who were an entirely separate thing. And it was run by, the website was run by IT. Yeah. And only just, like, however many years later, it's only just starting to realize that digital marketing, never mind marketing as a whole, ought to have some kind of connection to the brand itself and starting to reorgan, restructure. But that's a huge question mark. I, I think people are going to be forced into that. And I think there is there is this growing understanding that marketing, and we, this is really cheesy, but we call it marketing with a capital M. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's so nice. cheesy. No, that's good. I like that. <laughs> but you know, it, it's that full marketing umbrella of product, price, promotion. However many P's there are, there were four when I started out. Yeah. Now there's like gazillion pixels and pixels. Probably yes. come up with some more <laughs> pictures. I don't yep. know. <laughs> but that that's kind of exciting. It does feel, in a way, I've said like, oh, this whole thing is going to be monopolistic. Big brands are going to win. But also, it's exciting because. That, that data play isn't necessarily a world moat either. Mm. Again, if you can build a brand and if you can nurture that and sustain that audience, you as a smaller brand or company can still have a place in this new crazy internet world. Yeah, and as ever, the, as a small disruptive entrepreneurial startup, you can still move a lot faster than everyone else. And things like Instagram and TikTok and whatever's thing is tomorrow are still, even if they're not places you want to be building your equity for the long term, they are phenomenally good for discovery. Yeah. And if you can leverage direct 1% of those people back to your property or your mailing list or your whatever, then yeah, you'll be doing fine. Yeah, so we've solved it. We've solved the internet. Get on TikTok. <laughs> oh my, no. Or <laughs> <laughs> be the next Amazon. Those are the, the yeah. extremes, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. But thank you so much for coming on. It's no, been a great me. chat. I think, yeah, we've covered 
a lot of ground, so that's awesome. Where can people find you if they want to come and, because you talk, you write, you do some really cool stuff, where can they yeah. find um, you? On the internet, it's probably a good starting <laughs> place, um, at John Alderson, not at John Alderson on Twitter, is it at or at at? How do you I say that? I have no idea. Uh, at at John Alderson on Twitter, um, at johnalderson.com, uh, yoast.com for work stuff, I guess LinkedIn's a thing, increasingly with Twitter dying. Um, Sadly so, yes. Yeah, I occasionally open that up and then close it again fairly promptly. Um, but yeah, yeah, Google me. Perfect, thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much to Jono for coming on the show. I hope you agree. That was a fascinating conversation that sparked a lot of kind of trails of thought that I've gone away since and reflected on. But I think it's clear the future is here. The future is now and the landscape is evolving and changing and companies do need to adapt. And these are the kind of conversations we're having with our clients at Open Velocity about what do you do in the face of changing search behaviour, changing algorithms and changing user preferences. And I think the clear answer is you've got to do something. You can't do nothing. So if you're interested in having that kind of conversation with us, please come and have a chat. Always happy to talk shop, as you probably can tell. But if you're interested in The Brave, you can subscribe to get every new episode via email. But you can also subscribe, obviously, on the podcast platform of your choice as well. Um, We also have a newsletter. If you head over to openvelocity.co.uk, you can find it there. And you can find us on social as well. So if you want to connect with me, I'm on LinkedIn, Beth and Vincent. And I'm also at Beth and Vincent on Twitter. I finally, I would love to hear what you think about this episode and the podcast in general. So if you want to leave us a rating and or a review, that would be awesome. Tell me what you like. Tell me what I could improve. I am open to feedback. But without further ado, I'll let you crack on with your day. Thank you so much and see you soon.